instituting, there was a revival, there was a stirring of the hearts once again of God's people, that God wanted a place that He would be honored, worshipped, His presence would be there, the Shekinah glory, there'd be sacrifices paid, there'd be true worship for God's people. And this was to be instituted in Jerusalem, within Israel, within God's people, but for 70 years, this land lay absolutely desolate. And then God started to stir the hearts of the exiles that came back. And last week, we spoke about the first thing they instituted before the temple, before the gates, before the was, was coming back to the place of sacrifice, coming back to the place of true worship. Last week, we spoke about how in our lives in church that we have always a place that we can go back to, to receive mercy, to receive forgiveness. And the church might go here, there, and our way with doctrines, but the doctrine that stands firm, and it's a good place to go, is the power of the cross, the place of eternal sacrifice. And if you study revival, the first place that God's people goes back to in a revival is the preaching, a salvation through Jesus Christ, the eternal sacrifice, and preach the power of the blood. And I believe that as God stirs your heart as a fellowship, there'll be a fresh appreciation at least and a fresh hunger for salvation through the power of the cross and the shedding of His blood. And it was just great to hear people praying this morning in that vein. So, the first thing that happens, we are revival, we the sacrifice, and there's great euphoria and there's great worship, and the spotless bulls and the spotless lambs have a bad day as they start to be sacrificed again. And the hell, exile, remnant nation starts to worship Yahweh with their heart, with their soul, with their strength. If it could possibly go wrong, for God had instituted it once again, He would be worshipped. Once again, His presence would be felt by His people. People, for on earth it could go wrong. And we see a hell chapter and even more dedicated with this title, Opposition to the Rebuilding of the Temple. Opposition. This message is maybe for them who feel like giving up or have felt like giving up or one day will feel like giving up. Because when God truly starts to move, and you're truly saved, God's real in your life, and He stirs up the work of the Lord. You can't else it stirs up the work of the enemy, the work of the oppressor, and let's say the work of the devil. If when God begins to move again, and people start loving Jesus again, and numbers get added again, 
Be careful when you think you are standing firm because the devil, the enemy, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. And we see at the very heart, at the very start of the rebuilding of the temple, the enemy comes in. I'm going to go through them stage by stage, and I'll say this. Do not surrender your brick. That God has called you and saved you to be a living stone, a temple of the Holy Spirit, that you would be washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, and you would have the divine presence in your life. And you are, as the Bible teaches, a living stone. Ezra chapter 4, the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding a temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. So they approached Zerubbabel and the other leaders and said this, this sounds really good, doesn't it? Let us build with you. We worship your God. This was the Samaritan people speaking. We worship your God like you. We sacrificed to him ever since King Saradon of Assyria brought us here. Look, we worship your God like you. We sacrifice your God like you. Let us build with you. Verse 3. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the other leaders of Israel replied, You may have no part in this work. We alone will build the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel just as King Cyrus of Persia commanded us to. This was the first attack, right? I'll move us over here from my room. This has got a simple command, right? So God hasn't been worshipped through sacrifice in that place for 70 years. And so they're coming back, and when I drove, this was a revelation I got this morning when I drove in. Somebody's tried to knock down our wall or something, the, 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 the top of the wall next to the church, right? And they've left some bricks. I thought, okay, well, everything's a sermon illustration, isn't it really? So when I'm speaking about building of the wall, I thought, well, I'll take some bricks in just to show you the process. So you imagine a bunch of people, right? We're all here. We've been in exile. We've been in Babylon. We've been enslaved. For 70 years, we've heard the stories of old, how God parted the Red Sea to take our people out. And God is calling us back to the land flowing with milk and honey. He's stirring our hearts. And we go back to that place where we start. God has already instituted the temple previously, and we go back to the place of sacrifice. And us as a community of believers start building again. Hallelujah. Start worshiping Jesus again start loving the brotherhood of believers, and we start placing bricks doing. We get the sense of revival. We get the sense that God is on the move, that this isn't us, but we are being carried along by another. Our dreams, our vision, our people coming together. It says with one voice, a hell nation came. And all of us has got a brick in our hand. We're a living stone, a habitation of God's presence that on my own, I carry the presence of Jesus, but also says you also together are living stones, that when we come together, we're like that temple, church on Sunday morning, 
the temple of the Holy Spirit, for God lives with a manifestation of His presence. We are come, we are back, but just as we are building, just as we are in revival and our hearts are pure, another comes along, and it might not be a physical person, it just might be heart. Your heart gets changed because this is a shadow. Sometimes, Neo, just an opposition for an opposing people. But sometimes these things linger in our heart. And another comes along and says, Hey, Kevin, you're worshiping with a pure heart sacrifices. And something comes in and tries to change the building. It says that these people came in and said this, We are like you a counterfeit spirituality. We worship like you, sacrifice like you. They did not sacrifice like the Jewish people. The altar had been broken. The altar had been burnt. If they had sacrificed like the Jewish people, they would have came and said, we've already got an altar. We've been sacrificing the lambs and bulls while you've been out of here. But for the Samaritans, Yahweh was one God amongst other gods. They maybe spoke about him, but he certainly was not the Almighty God. So the Samaritan people came in with a deceptive heart. Let us join you. If the Jewish people had said yes, they came for what had happened. That them that had God's heart stirred within him, they would have said, Do you really need an altar to worship this God? We really need to sacrifice. I mean, we sacrifice other gods that I need in the altar. And before you can it, they would have stopped. And in our lives, we can start off in wonder and awe in the presence of Jesus. Then a counterfeit religious voice can come in and say, Hey, you can go to church. You can sacrifice if you want. But do you really need to be so radical? Do you really need to give him your awe? Do you really need the power of the Holy Spirit? Surely you can build, you can build a different way. Surely, as the Samaritan says, we will look the same as you, but carry a different heart. And sometimes an invading spirit can come in and say, as long as you look like a Christian, that's enough. I really pray in the secret place. Study God. As long as you turn up, you dear us, you mix with God's people per se, you sing the songs, you look like you're alive, and that's enough. It's like this wonderful looking plants here. They're the same every week. Why? Because they're dead. They're fake tree, they're fake plants. You do realize that, didn't you? They're beautiful. They come to our worship service every single week. We go and fill home bargains. And they're 100% dead. However, they look alive. And they're here every week. But in closer examination, you will notice they didn't grow. They need to be fed, they need to be watered, they need to be cared for, they need to be pruned. 
They're just here, dead, looking alive. And sometimes in our Christian life, a spirit could come in and convince us, as long as you look alive to your leaders, as long as you turn up on Sunday, that's enough. That's enough. Then I surrender your brick. Remember it with when you first got saved and you knew Jesus was alive and you defiled the Holy Spirit and you got baptized in the Holy Spirit and you hit that oh and you hit that wonder. I want to tell you, keep on going for that. Keep on going for that living stone. You keep on building with the anointing, with the precious blood of Jesus. And I don't think distract you that the Christian world is just about how you look to other people. No fear is to know God in the secret place, to be real before Him. You we met this morning, the first opposition was this. You may start alive, but you can be manipulated into changing and just looking like something, but inside your neck. And the Jewish people did a great thing with one voice that says, no, no. You might think you look like us. You might think you worship like us. You might think you sacrifice like us. But we want the real deal. Our hearts have been stirred. Your hearts have never been stirred. Thank you very much. You go your way. Our hearts have been stirred. We know the truth. We know Jesus. We know his word. And we are seeking first his kingdom. And we want our hearts to be truly right with him, and we don't want to be distracted. This is for them that feel like giving up. There's always a place back to the heart of the throne room of Jesus. You've maybe got distracted. You maybe feel like you've surrendered your brick into something else, but you know, you know the truth. You know for it is to carry his presence. That was the first distraction. The second thing was this. Verse 4, then the local residents tried to discourage. So these people are still in revival. They're still willing to build the altar in the temple in the was. Praise God. Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them to frustrate their plans. This went on during the entire reign of King Cyrus of Persia and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. Verse 5 again. They bribed agents to work against him and to frustrate their plans. The second attack. The first attack was like, look, let's just go on a different course. Let's just mark it look as though we're doing okay and we're not. We'll go wandering. But externally, we've got to look fine. The second attack was this complete frustration. So they kept building. And they hid us at our brick and they're still in revival. And they says, no, our hearts have been stirred and we will take part in the work of the Lord. Want us to be a habitation of the presence of the Lord. And then if it happens with them, same people bribed some secret agents on a secret mission to frustrate the work of the Lord. So we have brick in their hand, these people came just to frustrate 
And maybe he said stuff like, Ken, oh, other people over, see that family, did I really like you? Frustrated. Is this temple really fit you want to be dealing with your life? Is that really fit God wants you to do? You put bricks in front of bricks. Is that fit God needs? They try to get into God's people a heart of frustration. But the enemy wants to do is your building and being a living stone is to fill your life with as much frustration as he can. So that you, as a living stone working for the Lord in sweetness, you got that love connection with Jesus, love connection with God's people, suddenly you're frustrated while you work. And the enemy of God's people tries to wear down the saints so that you would do this. I'm so frustrated. I thought my prayers was going to be answered in their nay. I'm full of unanswered prayers and baggage. All the time the enemy wants us for you to say, I've got to surrender my brick. I've got to stop building Stop fellowship. Stop worshiping. My life is easier without Jesus and going to church. I'm under so much attack. I've gotten better. I'm going back. Stop building. If it was honest in our Christian life, for them that have been a Christian, more than six months, how much would say there has been a point of frustration. The max you just want to give up. There's been a point just in your heart that peace is gone. You think, I'll maybe just stop and get on with my life. I remember when I was going through a moment that just Frustration. Is this working out? It could be anything. I'm not wanting to try and second guess your frustration. You get saved, you got the joy of the Lord, you get involved with teams, you get involved with rotters, and then you think, ah, why are they any doing mer? And they could be doing mer. And you say, hey, mer help us, there's less help us. There should be mer going on here. Why is there no mer being done for them people, for these people? I remember the good old days, for this happened, for that happened. Frustration. And our minds are saying, a frustrated heart. And I remember that time when I had nothing. And I was hoovering and teen challenge doing the cleaning duties. But I was happy because I just knew going saved. And I went, I thought a man could be happy by hoovering a carpet. God's a God of miracles. Number one, I was hoovering a carpet. Number two, I had the joy of Jesus hoovering a carpet. Just because of this, I hid Jesus. I was satisfied with him and him alone. And you go through that place and you come into a place called Elam, a church, and you think, wow, I love God's people. I love other different nuances and the way they dress. Some came in suits, some came in their suits, but nothing mattered. It's just about loving God's people and worshiping God's people. And you get to serve and you go on teams and 
You go through a process. And stuff happens. Just sometimes frustration comes in. And the work of the Lord that started in revival can easily get frustrated out of you. Stuff didn't happen the way you wanted it to happen. Stuff was said that shouldn't have been said. And you said stuff that you later regretted. But just a heart of frustration. Might be just your devotional time has went. You've stopped reading the Word of God. One time he was highlighting every single passage in Scripture because God was speaking to you. Now you've got to dust a while the cobwebs and it's frustration. But this is what they've done with frustration. The Jewish people says, hey, you've come to frustrate me. You've come to derail me. I've got a job to do. And I love Jesus. And although you've come to frustrate, I'll keep on building. And I'm not giving up. And the church sometimes grows and sounds it decreases, but I'm not giving up. Because I've got a call of God upon my life. I've got His Word, His anointing, His fellowship. And I still love God's people. Come on, I've never felt like giving up just through sheer frustration. Just me. Praise God for the Northeast. <laughs> I'm sure if I seen any, each one of your heart, you would say, aye, aye, there is actually, there's, there's been more than one time that just stuff's happened and I thought, I'm, frust- I'm just frustrated. And I remember when I was hoovering and thought, hold on, I had nothing and was delighted in Jesus. Years later, I've got everything I could ever hoped or dream or imagine God has done in my life. I've got so much to be thankful for and I re-examined my frustration, and I thought, was I more satisfied with Jesus when I had nothing but Him than I am with you lots of things, yet Jesus? And I remember the time I had nothing but Jesus and thought this, frustration go in Jesus' name because I have so much to be thankful for. If nothing else, the precious blood of Jesus, I'm in my life, and the hell eternity to look forward to with Jesus. When all the pain and all the frustration and all the casualness to deal with Christ will be gone. And sometimes you just need a moment of thankfulness. The greatest enemy against God's thankfulness can be sheer frustration, but there's nothing like thankfulness that deals with the spirit of frustration. And these people say, I'm going to keep building an altar. We've got to keep worshiping. You've maybe came to frustrate by. I'm going to keep giving thanks to God. And the enemy was incredibly persistent. If the enemy can stop the work of the Lord at a very seed level, he will stop nothing that was eventually going to happen. I was speaking to a minister this week, not long in the ministry. He felt like giving up. Felt like giving up. He's got a call of God upon his life, and he says, Do not, do not give up. I said, Because if the enemy can get you just now, just to walk away, I think that you would eventually have done through ne giving up, that's gone as well. And it's a biblical principle that was a mass genocide when Moses, the deliverer of God's people, was born. And his mom and dad, recognizing that he was a beautiful boy, hid him. Meanwhile, mass genocide. 
Why? Because if the enemy could have got Moses at seed form, he would have obliterated the hell deliverance scenario. The same happened with Jesus. When he was born, again, mass genocide. Because if the devil can get Christ at seed form, he would have stopped the Savior being a Savior. And if he can get Christians at seed form just to a pure frustration... And they stop in fellowship and they deny the calling of the Lord and working for Jesus and they walk away for the divine Holy Spirit and their lives. He stopped something that could have been so beautiful and so amazing. But they kept laying, surrendering their bricks until, because the enemy is persistent, and they read the hell chapter. But the rest, so that didn't work, so they then sent a letter to the king. Sent, the enemy sent a letter to the king saying, look, that's Jewish people, read the history. They're rebellious. They incite insurrections and war. And they're going to be bad news for you. If they build their temple, they build their thing, they're going to be bad news for you. And so they sent a letter to king, or to exarchs. The king read the records and thought, yeah, they're a rebellious people full of insurrection and war. And through sheer peer pressure, he sent a letter that then the Jewish people got held to. And it says, the letter was like, you are rebellious people. That was their history. It wouldn't be their destiny. They're now coming back with a pure heart. But they was reminded of their rebellion and through the pressure of a king that said, stop. They stopped. They had a brick in their hand and there was a lot of lay, another rain unto completion. They were in revival, praise and worship was continuing, and then they were reminded of the rebellion. And pressure through a king, political pressure, and they thought, okay, this is too much. It's too much to be reminded of your rebellion and condemnation. And many a Christian has stopped because they are reminded near the blood with their past history, and you think, you think I'm just not good enough. Still a sinner, I still make mistakes. I'm just not good enough for Jesus and to be part of his church. Because the enemy is this the accuser of the brethren. And he'll never remind you of the blood, he'll never remind you of the cross, he'll remind you of your own downfall. And many of God's people at that point have said, Yeah, the enemy's right. He cares my mistakes, he cares my sin. And you forget about the power of the blood, you forget about the cross, you just feel you're not good enough. And you surrender your brick. But as well as that, they wouldn't have just reminded of the rebellion. This was the king. This was the guy in authority. This was King Charles. This was a letter for the king saying, stop. And when that political pressure came, and we might face this again someday, political pressure to stop the building, to stop preaching the cross, Stop preaching salvation, to stop saying that sin is sin. If it will you do at that moment, or extreme political pressure, if King Charles was to come out and say, hey, you can worship in your churches. There are certain things you're not allowed to say. Certain sins you're not allowed to say is sin, and there are certain things we would prefer you need to say, like Jesus is the only way to the Father. And if he was to write, if the king, Charles, was to write a forceful letter to us, what would we do? Because it's easy to look at the Jewish people and think, no, no, they should never have surrendered. 
but it breaks so easily. They forgot who the real king was, King Jesus. They forgot that he was the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and he'd already spoken, build my church, worship, honor me as king, preach the cross, preach Christ crucified, preach the blood, be disciples, make disciples, lay hands on the sick so that they will recover. You will be hauled up and caught, but don't worry at that point, because the Holy Spirit, your advocate, the one that will lead you into all truth, don't worry about a thing, for He will speak through you. And Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they hate you, if they hate me, surely they will hate you. For a servant will not be greater than his master. The student will not be greater than his teacher. As I am in the world, so is you. I pray for a courage within God's people. Because if it happens, was really sad. Verse 24, one of the saddest scriptures at that point, God's people had battered away a few attacks of the enemy. They hid their broken place. So the work on the temple of God in Jerusalem stopped. It remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Stopped. The work of the Lord stopped. Maybe you feel in your life that through different circumstances, the work of the Lord stopped. Different fellowships might feel, and the work of the Lord is put on pause. But our God is a gracious God. Our God is a God that says, Hey, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And God, while here, a habitation of His presence in people's lives and in fellowships. He will not be nudged out the way like a naughty little schoolboy. He is the great I am. He's the one that sees the beginning for the end. He doesn't just give victory. His name is victory. But a move of God that started in revival was put on pause. Sometimes that happens in our life. Sometimes it happens in fellowships. For 18 years, I think, between 13 and 18 years, not one brick was laid and tap on another. But do not, God's people, speaking to you, do not surrender your brick. I'll end with this, chapter 5. And then at that time, some 13 to 18 years later, at that time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, you've got a record of exactly what they said in your Bible. We'll maybe speak about that next week. Son of Edu prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, and Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them and helped them. Thirteen to eighteen years, 
let our without our brick being on top of one another, without one being set, as I say, in stone, with paws being put on God's temple, being at work. But God had not taken their eyes off of them, and He sent a Haggai. If you read Haggai, it's a message or rebuke. He turns up to God's people and says, Hey, if it's happened, the temple of God lies in ruins, and you have all went. Your NY, building your N who says, if it's happened to God's world, your prophets are prophesying. The time is not yet for the temple to be rebuilt. But I say unto you, start laying bricks again, for God will be worshipped again. In fact, the former glory will be as nothing to fit is coming. God's people do not lose heart. Keep building for Jesus. Let that frustration you feel go in Jesus' name. Then I settle for some fake looking Christianity that makes you feel dead inside, but as long as you keep attending things, nothing's going to be hunky dory. When God has got something phenomenal for you, that you would carry the glory of Jesus that your heart would be an altar, that you would get up and sing the almighty presence of God. And that feeling that you had when you first got saved is as nothing to fit God can do in your life today. Keep on building, keep on building, keep on building in spite of opposition. Because what you'll find is through Haggai, although the frustration of the enemy might have stopped them, God then frustrated their plans so they got back on board if it God was really wanting today. And this morning, let God revive your heart. You might have feel so your life's been on pause and frustrated, but God has never forgotten the word of God that has spoken in your life through the laying on the hands and through the gift of prophecy. Oh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in the full. We can think our greater days are behind us, but praise God, three people gone through the waters of baptism in a few weeks' time. Sit with these people, hear their story, how God has touched their life, and let revive within you a hope to keep building. So many people needing saved and loved and touched by Jesus in this community. And if each one of us was just to say, I'm giving up, life full of potential, full of destiny, full of purpose, full of love, full of grace. The enemy tried to destroy it through disunity and fellowships. Try to destroy it through backbiting and discomfort. Try to destroy it through reminding us how bad we used to be and we'd remember that quicker than we remember our destiny and the blood and what happens, God's temple gets affected. What is Wima? You still want to see a move in your life, in your life. This guy asked to stand in his presence. This may be just for one person in here this morning. I think it's one of those messages that we just pray as a fellowship. Come on. We just pray as one.
because we are face opposition. But God has put a call on each one of us or significance or purpose that we together would be a habitation or the presence of Jesus. And Jesus, I pray for us as a fellowship, even during this summer season, that we wouldn't surrender the bricks of the temple so easily, that give us discernment to recognize attacks of the enemy. And God, we didn't want to give the devil and the enemy too much glory and too much power and too much authority. But we do recognize he is real and he hates the burden of the true temple of the Holy Spirit. He hates the burden of the true temple, O glory, the place of salvation, sacrifice, true worship, true life for God will be honored, glorified. And Jesus would add to the numbers them that were being saved. And help us as a community of believers to be a people of true worship, or true honor, true authority or true wonder that would hold fast the biblical truths, the preaching of the blood, salvation in Christ and Christ alone. I pray for them that are going through a period of frustration and they just feel like giving up on Jesus and God's people. We thank you that the, the mountains will melt like wax in the presence of the Almighty God. And God, my words can't fix anything, but we pray for the presence of Almighty God to move in our lives. And our frustration would go in Jesus' name. For you said, come to you all who are feeling frustrated, who are feeling weary, who are feeling lost and downtrodden, and you would give us rest that your burden would be light, your yoke would be easy. We pray in Jesus' name that you would lift our burdens and we would feel the rest and your light yoke in our lives. And yet again, we would stand smiling in appreciation of Christ our Lord, Savior, and King. And help us to move in your kingship, in your lordship, and amongst all things that comes against the body of Christ, that we'd be reminded the day, who is king? Who is king? Who is king? Who is this Lord? Who is this king? He is our king. He is our king. And he is our king. And we pray for the spirit of boldness, or courage, or freedom arise in God's people, that we'd be unafraid, unafraid and unashamed. Keep us marching, nay to the beat of the political world. Keep us marching to the beat of heaven, to be in sync with you. For time is short and Jesus is coming back. And we pray that you would come back for a church that is alive, that is moving in the anointing, that is moving in authority, that is seeing people saved. In Jesus' name, but yet do heart surgery. And I pray for everybody in here, especially that feels like surrendering their brick, that they would believe again. 
that they would hope again, that they would love again. And as we turn to you, we'd be refreshed, and times of refreshing would come upon us. Just take a moment in silence. God surviving you even now for the work of the Lord again. Revive your people, O oh God. Spiritual renewal. A glory that touches even the deep recesses of our spirits. As deep cries out to deep. Revive us, revive us, revive us. There's a psalm that is written. It says, revive us again, O Lord. Revive us again. Revival means that our once was a work of the Lord was to be revived. Yet the psalmist didn't write, revive us, O Lord. It says, revive us again, O Lord. Because sometimes you've been through revival and you've been revived. But you need revival again. Revival is God starting a work and being put on pause. Revival is God redeeming the work. And revival again is God redeeming the work again. And in a spiritual walk with Jesus, you get saved. The joy of the Lord comes upon you. All things become new. You're a new creation. Things get dry. You get bitter. You get disappointed. And what do you need? Oh, you need revived. That's what was there happening again. All things become new. You can. You're a new creation. Praise the Lord. But then again, things can go dry. Things can get disappointed. The dreams that you had seems turns into a nightmare. So what do you need? Revive us again, O oh Lord. And maybe some of you need revived again. And God says, that's okay. I'm in the habit of revival. I'm in the habit of stirring up hearts. I'm in the habit of dealing with people. Revive us again, O oh Lord. Revive us again, O oh Lord. Revive the church in Scotland Again, O oh Lord, stir up hearts again, O oh Lord. Send the fire of the Holy Spirit again, O oh Lord. May we be done while we waywardness again, O oh Lord. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for doing our own things and revive the true work of the Lord. The churches yet again will be filled to your glory will be filled to your majesty, will be filled to your wonder. Oh God, revive us and revive us again. Thank you, Jesus. He is able. He is able. He is able. As the worship team comes up, we pray that, ah, the glory, the wonder, and the majesty of Christ will be found amongst God's people. Be stirred up again. 
Oh, revive us again. Revive us again. Revive us again. Let's give him all the glory, people. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added. And then he'll get frustrated about a thing. Let's worship him. We'll take up our tithes and offerings. God bless you.